And I'm also like always in a rush, don't always want to buy my lunch. And especially like you just get fatigued from like the bulleries that are available, like a kava. The bulleries, wow, that is an excellent phrasing. We are living, all we have is bowls. I'm just realizing now the bowlery concept might be the one thing to get me to prefer a sandwich. Hello, I'm Allison Roman and welcome to Solicited Advice, the podcast where I get to do what I love most, give advice. Each week I'm joined by a very special guest and several very special advice seekers as we do our best to solve all of, or at least one of your problems. Today, my guest is my very good friend, Susan Korn, which you may know as the founder and owner of Susan Alexandra, which is one of my favorite brands in New York. She makes extremely delightful jewelry and accessories for humans and for dogs, gorgeous homewares, um, bespoke necklaces. It is a joy to know her as a business person, but also as a friend. And if you're in New York, you have to stop by her store because it is absolutely incredible. It is like full of radiant pleasure. Like she's just so colorful in the way that she approaches her life and her style and her product and like really believes that fashion should be for everyone and that it should be fun and that it should be full of personality. Even before I knew her as a person, I really gravitated towards that sort of ethos as like a person living in the world trying to make something special. She is unabashedly herself and it shows in everything that she does and she makes. And so I am thrilled to have her on the podcast. Susan, I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. I don't I, I don't know what took me so long to ask you. I was like thinking of guests and I was like, oh my God, you know who I really want to talk to is Susan. Partly because I just really want to talk to you because you're my friend and I miss you. But also I feel like I ask you for advice all the time about like owning a business, about like being a woman in New York, about like how to dress. Like I am texting you constantly with questions and you always make time for me. And I just, I'm really grateful for that. That means so much to me. And I'm so honored. I was really, truly like very, very excited and honored when you guys reached out, especially because your guests are so esteemed. But also I love when you reach out to me because it's really shocking to me always that you need help with anything because you, to me, <laughs> feel like the most self-sufficient person in the world. Uh, so like you coming to me, it kind of reminds you that people like to be called upon. Like you're mm. not bothering people when you ask them something. You actually make people feel special and needed and important. And I I never remember that. Like when you're like, yeah. what do I wear for the, this or this? And you actually like call upon me. I'm like, thank you. That makes me feel really, that makes me feel great. You were huge in my wedding ensemble Ugh. preparation. You went with me on my first wedding dress shopping yeah. excursion. You were like really there for me for that, which I, I will always remember and always be grateful for. And as a show of my appreciation, I invited you on this podcast. No. Thank you. Yeah. But, but really, and you're right. And that's a really good point that I don't think that we consider when we are asking for help. Like we mm -hmm. constantly think of asking for help as being a burden. And that is actually the exact thing that I talked about with my therapist this week. Really? Ironically, yeah. Because I was like feeling very, gosh, how to, how to say it without saying too much. I think I was feeling very like, I was like feeling very alone in certain things and like being like, but I don't need any help because I've never had help because I 
grew up this way and was taught mm-hmm. to be self-sufficient and I'm so independent. And I don't need anything from anyone. But like, that's simply not true. I need so much from so many people. And even just saying that, like, and drilling it into my brain that that's not a sign, that's like not a weakness. And that like, yeah. there's power and vulnerability of being like, I do need help. Because for so long, I've like not needed help or told myself I didn't. And like, that's not a good way to live. I've decided. <laughs> I think it's also, also like, you know, we both, something that we both connect on often is just like, how do we do it all? We both want really big lives and like, you know, maybe unabashedly so. And obviously we can't get to the to the levels that we so deeply want without help, but it is, it feels like we have to burn ourselves, at, burn the candle at both ends to get that. It, I mean, we both know that we're at a point where we can't sustain this level of exhaustion, of stress. No. To expand, to like fully reach our potential. To expand, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, we both put so much pressure on ourselves. And I think for that leads us to great things sometimes, but it's hard. It's really hard. And we both, like I can say for you, we both need help. Yeah. <laughs> we need help. Yes. We need help. It is really, really like having a community that you can lean on. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. I wish that for both of us. And I think we have that to an extent, really, truly. Yeah, we do. in each other and a lot of other good people yeah. in our lives. But I yeah. think also like when starting this podcast, it like obviously was sort of more like lighthearted and like, what's like your neighborhood drama? And like, what? Yeah. how do you order a martini? And all those things are really helpful, but I also am really enjoying the like, other parts that like remind you that like perspective and advice and other people's experiences are really valuable to hear. Yeah. I mean, listen, you are a giver and you take care of people. That's literally your job. Feeding people (laughs) is taking care of people. So it's no surprise that you have a capacity to hold, to hold so many different things. I mean, I've been listening to your pod all morning and I'm like, they give you these questions that people bring to you are very like, very heavy. But I'm like, of course you have space for that. You're not afraid of the dark. It's a part of your job. It's about, it's all about taking care of people. And I, I'm really impressed by that too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I love, I love to get into it. I love like yeah. to skip bullshit and no like bullshit. really get in there. Yeah. No Bull- small bullshit free environment. Yeah. It's yeah. exhausting. We're medium talk. We're not small talk. We're going, we're escalating to medium talk right away, right off the bat. Oh, we, we just bypassed the small. Absolutely. Yeah. And if medium is as big as we get, I'm actually okay with that. Like medium, mm-hmm. there's a time and a place for medium. Small talk is so draining to me. I'd rather not. And I'd rather like not to be rude. I'm just like, oh, we don't need to do this. Like I don't I've need seen to- you. I've seen pleasant. you small talk. Exactly. It's not pretty. It's not good. I feel like everyone knows I'm full of shit if I'm small talking. I don't know. They're ripping up my street again, uh, which is just how we live now. Uh. <laughs> and I don't want to be like, a New Yorker who complains about what it means to live in New York, which means like 90% of the time there's like construction happening outside your window and there's like, two, you know, this, that, and the other. I don't want to be that person, but just allow me 20 seconds of, it is extremely frustrating to like constantly have your street be ripped up outside your window. Yes, absolutely. I totally, I can't deal with sound anymore. So I'm like, well, I guess I got to move because I yeah. other people's sounds are an assault on my being. Yeah. Yeah. It's ruining my entire shocker field. I've been told mm-hmm. recently. Yeah. I see uh, that. We can talk about that later mm-hmm. offline. Yeah. I think we should take some callers. I think we should 
channel this energy. I think if you're listening to this podcast right now, know that you're catching Susan and I on a very, depending on how you look at it, a good day for something like this. Like we're feeling raw. We're feeling- Fiery and raw. Open. We're fire, full of stuff. Stuff to receive, stuff to give. Mm -hmm. So I think we should give it. Let's do it. I think it's time to take our first caller and we have her on the line. Her name is Charlotte. Charlotte, how can we help you today? Hi. So I have a question. It's about one of my best friends for over 10 years. She's literally the best. Like we are so close. She's so funny, so smart. There are things that I have told her that I have not told anybody else. Ever since I've known her, she's always had a boyfriend And the next boyfriend always appears with a little bit of cheating and a little bit of overlap with the prior boyfriend. Mm. And that always made me uncomfortable. But a couple years ago, she met this guy. And the narrative very much was like, yes, she's cheated in the past. But she just was like cosmically waiting for this guy. He's the one. And therefore, she'll sort of never cheat again in the future. And a couple months ago, we get a little text in the group chat saying like she was she was on a business trip abroad and she mm. texted us being like, LOL, like so hard to find UTI medication when you don't speak the language. And so we all sort of were like, True. oh no. And we all, we kind of just were like, so like, did you sleep with this person already? And she was like, yeah. She basically like met a guy while she was out and hooked up with him. And um, she was, like, extending her travels to be with him. And so we all kind of were just like, oh, gosh, like, not again. But we wanted her to come back to America and be safe and whatever. So we kind of just all were waiting. She came back to America, and she was talking about how, like, she had this daunting task now of breaking up with her boyfriend and, like, how emotional she was feeling about it. And I basically said to her, like— good luck. Like, I'm with you. I support you. I love you. I know this is going to be really hard. When you come back up for air, I really do think we all need to get on the phone and, like, chat about this. And she was like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you making this about you? And I was like, well, you've now cheated on every single boyfriend that you've ever been with. And that, like, feels like a big betrayal. And it's hard for me to watch also, like, as your friend. And, you know, I know what it's like to be cheated on. And I just feel like this is not, like, this is something we need to talk about. And that was three months ago. Mm. Have not heard from her. She, like, hasn't answered my calls. She hasn't responded to my texts. She's still talking to our other friends and has said, the direct quote is, like, Charlotte is no longer in my life which is tough, obviously. But what made me think to reach out to you is you're a Virgo. I'm a Virgo. Mm -hmm. Who knows how much stock you can take into like astrology, but we're an opinionated people. We have strong convictions. And I try as best as possible to like be as supportive of my friends as possible. But I kind of wanted to hear like, did I mess up? Did I overstep? Do I owe her an apology? And on a macro level, what is a better way or what is the right way to navigate when your friends are making choices that feel in direct opposition with your values? Oof, Charlotte. Wow. What a question. First of all, like very well asked and like full Mm -hmm. picture, full scope. There's a lot of meat on those bones. Yeah, I was like (laughs) scared that I was going to be like giving you too much, but I was like, this has a beginning, middle and end and Mm -hmm. you all need it. 
yeah, that was all really important context. Well, I do believe in astrology first, just to get that out of the way. And sort of to work backwards, I feel like this is very topical for me because I am recently trying to navigate my own critical mind, not only in how I am with myself, but how I am with others and like my expectations of them and how I give that information and like, is that helpful? And if not, is there a better way? Does it make me feel good to give that information? Not really. It's almost like a compulsion. Yeah. It is like a trope that Virgos love to uh, judge and give their opinions and critique. Totally. So I'll own that. I, I, I can relate. And, but I don't think that that's like, we can't just be like, oh, we're bad for that reason. Like we, we can't let that like make ourselves feel, that's me to me right now. I'm projecting. Susan, what do you think? You know, I, I want to say that, Charlotte, I think your friend and your all of your friends are really lucky to have someone in their life who is so committed and so loving to them. Like, even the fact that you're like, I'm here, I'm, let's get you through this, and then let's come together and figure out a solution. I think that's a really beautiful thing. And really good friends are hard to find, and it sounds like you're a really good friend. Thank you. I think that... I, I was just looking on my phone for this quote that we, uh, a friend and I were just talking about, about a friendship that was ending between her and her friend because of some values that they don't share. And the thing is, in, in this world, especially uh, right now, we're all, our values are all really, really different, or what we care about is really different, but at the end of the day, if we care about the same thing, maybe a different route getting there, it's kind of like it can work. But if we totally are at like odds with our ethics and our moral compass, then it's really hard to be in a relationship with that, especially your best friend. Obviously, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist, but it does sound like this person has some significant things that happen to them where they think that cheating is probably something that aligns with how they see themselves or how they see love, their self-esteem. So I have compassion for that person. That doesn't mean that you have to be around that because it's a really, it's a really uncomfortable thing. And it's really not something that obviously sits well with you for, for a good reason. And I think that you do also have to assess when it's time that for friendships to kind of fall apart because friendships mm-hmm. evolve and change. And maybe this isn't the person, maybe you can love some of them I don't know. It's hard. I have so many messy friendships. Yeah. I think as you get older, it also becomes less of like a, okay, well, you're no longer in my life. Like it's it's less cut and dry and more, how can this person be in my life in a way that feels good to me? And that means like, it's kind of like a demotion where you put people into different buckets because you're like, mm-hmm. you know what? This person has let me down too many times. And when they let me down, I take it too personally. There's conflict Lord, no one's happy. It's a mess but yet there's something that like bonds you and keeps you coming back. And like, there is something good there, right? Like there is value to something about this person. Mm -hmm. So how do you allow that in while not allowing these other things to really affect you? And it can take a lot of conditioning and a lot of sort of like reconfiguring how you communicate with this person and your expectations of them. But there, I've done this before in mm-hmm. recent years where like I realized that the friendship wasn't either what I wanted or what I needed, but it wasn't, there was still stuff there worth saving. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just say like, well, you know what? This is like no longer inner, inner circle. This is like outer ring, inner circle or like the inner ring of the outer circle. You know, like you're kind of pushed out a little bit, but you're still in the mix. Like 
of course, like we can have a laugh. We can have a beverageino. We can have a beverage. Be on the group chat. Yeah. We can like do stuff peripherally, but like when it comes to who you hold close as like these are my people, people, and like here's who I align with and mm-hmm. who I want to like aspire to be more like who teaches me how to be a better person, blah, 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 blah. Those people are going to ebb and flow, you know? Yeah. I think it's a really good thing to like approach the situation and be like, hey, I'm really sorry if that was out of bounds. And like make your peace and be like, you know what? I offered my opinion where you didn't ask for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm so sorry if that hurt you. And like, I totally get it. And like, I, I hope we're cool. You have the option to apologize in the way that makes you feel like you're growing as a person and you're owning up to what may have not been the best way or version of yourself to handle the situation if you think that's true. Like, I don't believe in apologizing if you're not sorry. But if you're like, oh, you know what? Like, I can see how me offering my opinion at a moment, they didn't ask for it. They're probably not ready to hear that. And they, I could see how that would not be well-received. Yeah. And you can kind of apologize for the things that maybe you wish you had done differently and then file that away into your own personal checklist of like how I, how I want to grow, how I want to yeah. handle conflict. But I wouldn't expect them to like all of a sudden turn into the friend that you want them to be. You know, I think sometimes people aren't ready to hear something that feels tough. Yeah. And that can be true. And you finding a different way to deliver that information at a more appropriate time can also be true. Yeah, totally. I think obviously everything you just both said was so great. One thing that you said that I think really is so interesting is like the delineation between when someone does a personal attack to you, when it's like a friend. And I think that was a hard thing for me to learn how to navigate because when you have so much love for someone— even if they like maybe are hurting you, you kind of want to stick around because of how much mm-hmm. you care about them. But at a certain point, it's very easy to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to put up with this pain anymore. And when it's towards someone else, I think you can kind of, at least I feel like sometimes I like devalued how much that hurt me because it did hurt me that she did that, even though she didn't mm-hmm. do it to me and it wasn't about me. And It didn't even make me feel like she would ever do something like that to me. It just made me feel like we had made a promise to each other to kind of be like the best versions of ourselves. And then she kind of broke that promise to me. And and I think also I felt a little bit like as an extension, like I'm now betraying this person that I've spent time with over the past three years. Because when you have that kind of relationship, like your community is part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think... An apology definitely sounds like a good next step. I think I needed to like hear from an outside person if that apology was like me just bending over backwards to like fix something or if it's real. And I think hearing it from you guys, like, yeah, like I probably, I don't think my timing was good and it was like well-intended, but it was too soon. And I like didn't ask her if she was in the space to like have a hard conversation. And I think also... One thing I'm hearing in all this also is like, it's allowed to be a deal breaker for me that I don't want to be around people that are cheating on their people. And that can be like a decision I make for myself. And to your point, like no friendships need to be ended. They can just be shifted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say that over the course of the many years I've been on this planet, my friend groups have shifted tremendously for the better. Most of the time it's because it's that friendship is no longer what it was when it began. And I'm no longer who I was when it began. And it's okay. And you have to do what's best for you. Like, I think it's so nice to not have anger or grudges between 
between two people. So if you're saying, hey, I've been thinking and I want to apologize to you for this or this, it's nice. It's a, it's a, it's a weight off of your shoulders and you know you've done what you could do. But I do think that there is a point that we all need to assess if, if things are not serving us, just letting them go. Working hard to make it as, you know, keep your side of the street clean, but like yeah. letting things go if you need to. It's not my strong suit. <laughs> it's so freaking hard. I don't know. It's just things really evolve. And, and I think having that conversation with her and seeing where it goes. But I think you would be remiss if like that was the end of the friendship. Because it yeah. sounds like there's something there worth saving. Yeah. But it is interesting how the older we get, different things come up that weren't mm. like revealing of themselves when we're younger of like, oh, what is this kind of person? What would they do? How do they conduct themselves? What are their morals? And once those things start to come out as you're like faced with different circumstances, you're like, oh, that's so interesting. I would so not do it that way. That is so not my vibe. Like either how they handle money, how they treat their employees, how they yeah. vote, like what whatever <laughs> their attitudes are around like current events, you're like, oh, wow, that's really telling. And if I met you today, I don't think we'd be friends just based on your value judgments yeah. that maybe you didn't know before. The way that this all played out, like I feel, I think going into it naively, I felt this sense of like, okay, like we're obsessed with each other. We trust each other. You can trust me. You know how much I love you. Like we can have this hard conversation and understanding that that's not the place she was in. And then also feeling really let down by the way that like that conflict is being handled of just like dropping no word like that. That to me is the biggest red flag. Yeah. Not red flag, but like that's to me the, the core issue of like, and that tells you a lot about that style of communication and conflict of just like, instead of saying, hey, that really upset me and that was out of line and I didn't appreciate that. They're like, there's nothing. And that to me is like very tough. That's yeah. tough to come back from. I, I get that. But I think you should do everything in your power to like make you feel good about the person you're becoming with the situation that you have. Yeah. You know, and like totally. feeling proud of yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. Cool. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you for the wonderful question. That was fantastic. Really appreciate it. I hope it resolves itself or you help it I resolve. hope so too. I mean, we'll <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. You're asking the good questions, I think. You know what I'm really shocked by this podcast? We like, feel, I feel very blessed that the, that the callers are pretty young. They keep me young. Yeah. But they're all so like aware and, and asking like really important questions that I think are like, just even asking the question is worth so much in like, your story of like becoming a person. Yeah. That's like also the other thing about doing the show is that like you don't always have to have the answer, but just even talking about it or like mm -hmm. offering it up as like a, here's an opportunity for doing something different or possibility or like I have a choice or like even like positing that like you have autonomy over like how your life can be is just like so beautiful to me. And these young people, yeah. I swear to God, really are just doing it for me. Yeah, and it's also like you you know, I think at this point we've had so much life experience in the in the way of friendship, social dynamics, so many things that it's like even if we're no experts on this, like we can say what we've done in this situation which we've definitely yeah. been in in some iteration. So I think yeah. that's really really cool. It do, it does so much to have age on your side in this instance. I feel like I I think about it all the time about aging and like what is what are the benefits of it and like how wonderful it can be and mm -hmm. there's just like so much stuff where I'm like I would have not known that eight years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago like there's just so much and that gives me a lot of hope and excitement for like 10-15 years from now 
All right, let's go to our next caller. For those of you listening at home, we're going to try to get through this without my internet cutting out, which would be a real miracle. All right, Susan, I think we should take our next caller. Let's do it. Patrick, on the line, live in studio via Zoom, via the World Wide Web. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and privilege to be here. Oh, the honor and privilege is all ours. How can we help you today? It's not so much a question as in... More so just needing a sounding board um, for some like big life changes that are kind of been on my mind for the last few years that have just kind of more concretely appeared. So I'm currently in Chicago. I've lived here for about five years. It's not always been like my like goal to stay here. And I have just been visiting New York a lot, whether it be for work or for friends, for fun. And I really want to move there. And I have like made it the decision that like, when my lease is up this year, I'm going to move to New York. However, I'm just kind of terrified because in my 20s, moving, fine, easy. I could do it so seamlessly. But now that I've built a community and I've built up like a life here, it just feels so daunting. And I don't really know where to start and to know if I'm like making the right decision or if I'm being like sick and twisted to myself. <laughs> do it. Patrick, do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what you don't hear is that we just were like kvetching about uh, living in New York and how much it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I have a few follow-ups. First, do you have friends here in New York? Like you ha- do you have like some semblance of community? I do. I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. What are the things that appeal to you most about living here? Yeah. So... I think it's kind of what everyone says. I think a lot of it is the energy, the um, opportunities. You know, I I have a job that is based out of New York. And Mm. so that would give me opportunity to be in office more. But mostly, like, I miss the newness and, like, the blank slate of starting a new page and just kind of being, like, out of my comfort zone. I feel really comfortable here. And obviously the tastemakers like you two are living there. So like, you know, I want to be (laughs) in more of a community of people who I feel like are like-minded and wanting more out of their life. Not to say that people here don't, but yeah. You just want something different. So like all of that said, I have been really just curious. Like, I don't know, especially like what neighborhood to move into. I've looked you know, all over Brooklyn and Manhattan. And Brooklyn has really been catching my eye. And I know you've just met me, but I'm very curious, like, what's what's the vibe? Where should I, where should what I- What are you giving? Like, what is What neighborhood is Patrick giving? <laughs> what's he giving? What am I giving? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like your area. Yeah, I'm getting like Fort Green Sun <laughs> with like a Ridgewood moon. Yeah, Ridgewood <laughs> moon. Do you, do you want to go out? Are you at a point in your life? Where, well, yeah, because you want to meet new people. So you probably yeah. want to go out That's at That's a night. great question, Susan. That's a great question. Like how, yeah, how out are you? Maybe Bushwick. Maybe Bushwick. Um, no, I love to go out. I love to be a social girl. I love to be a girl about town. No, right. Okay, okay. Well, also the thing in New York is you can go anywhere really fast. Like yeah, really that easy. Yeah, kind of doesn't matter. Yes. Okay, so maybe Fort Greene with um, Ridgewood Rising. So you're not the first person to tell me Ridgewood. Yeah. 
probably yeah. more than Fort Greene, but I can see, I think that like, <laughs> because of Fort Greene's proximity to Bed-Stuy and the city and mm. Brooklyn Heights and what, you know, Ridgewood, like it, it, it does feel kind of central for many different neighborhoods. If you want to, God forbid, go to Williamsburg, you could be there pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a good mm-hmm. landing pad for which to explore other neighborhoods. And my advice would be, because yeah. I think we've established you're moving to New York. You got to do it. And the only reason you need <laughs> is that you're, you're feeling drawn to it and you you want to mm-hmm. explore and yeah. you want to grow and you're not done growing and you want a, a new city to grow in. And that is the only reason you need. And I think book your ticket tomorrow, stop overthinking it, just commit to being in New York. Yeah. Know that the first apartment you land in won't be your last. And I would do yourself the favor of not trying to find the perfect place immediately and just be like, I want to be somewhere central. I want to be somewhere lively. I want to like plan a long weekend, come to New York, see as many neighborhoods as possible. Let your friends take you out, get a sense of like where the things that you're interested are. Cause you can make a neighborhood anywhere because New York gives so much. Mm-hmm. I am really glad that I live in my neighborhood that I live in now at this stage in my life. I don't know that when I moved here when I was 24, if that's where I'd want to live, you know? So I think there's like the right place yeah. for the right time just because of its what it offers. Don't stress too much about finding the perfect place and perfect neighborhood right off the bat. I think just being like, what can I afford? What fits into my budget? What's not going to feel isolating? Mm-hmm. What's not going to feel like I'm spending all my money in Ubers or Lyfts getting to a place because the train access is so poor? Like, think kind of logistically and then be like, cool, I did like a six month sublet or like I signed a year lease and I'm using this as like setting the stage for the rest of my time in New York. Yeah. And I want to add, Patrick, that what I always feel is really important is that magnetic pull you feel to a place. Mm -hmm. I felt that to New York my whole life and here I am. And I also did the Chicago to New York pipeline and moved. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Ohio. And then I went to school in Chicago and then from Chicago to New York. And now it's been 15 years, but I never felt connected to Chicago. And I did feel that connection to New York. And that's not to say it wasn't one of the hardest things a human can do, you're in a way better place. You're like a grown up. You have friends here. You know, you, you're talking to Allison Roman. Like, you know, like you're in a good <laughs> place right now in your life. We're getting martinis at Lediv tomorrow, Patrick. Be there. Yeah, we're going to Lediv. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Allison's totally spot on. And that's such thoughtful advice. I think I've moved 12 times since I've lived mm-hmm. in New York. So oh, wow. you have to, the other thing you keep in mind here People is love that, to move especially, here. you're like, yeah, moving <laughs> is always happening, but you're you're not moving to New York to nest. I mean, that doesn't seem like where you're at either. I'm like yeah, in no. my nesting phase. I'm in my like little, you know, under the covers, eating mm-hmm. soup all 24-7 vibe, which is like, maybe <laughs> I'm time, it's time for me to move. But you, you come to New York for this connection and that is that, life force in the city. Like this this connective tissue that makes magic happen. It really does exist here. Like it's what I've built my life on. So you're going to have that here within a year. So just know you're not going to be spending much time at home. Find a place that's safe, close to the train, looks reasonably clean, and you'll make it happen. Reasonably like you clean. will. <laughs> reasonably clean. You know, you never can really tell. You it's really, not until yes. you move in that the roaches... The roaches start coming, you know, no matter what. But um, I live in the city, which nobody does anymore. And (laughs) I, 
like, it is really nice. Like, I do walk everywhere, everywhere. But I'm also yeah. really close to the train. Or I'm not close to the train. I actually have to schlep to the train. But I'm cl- the train isn't far to get to anywhere. Like, Allison's neighborhood, it's probably 20 minutes. So, it's easy. You're from, sh- you live in Chicago. You're used to taking public transport, probably. Yeah, yeah. So, another thing that kind of happened, too, was I had a friend who recently moved there from Chicago. And... They have a romantic partner that has now expressed interest in moving to New York there with them mm. after I've kind of been told that that would never be the case. Um, and or maybe not never, but just not going to happen anytime soon. And I was really excited about the prospect of like, OK, my friend moved there. I this is will be a good landing pad for me and mm. like a good resource for me now that their partner might be moving there. I'm worried that all of their time that I would have loved to have would be kind of encroached on. And so I'm curious about how to navigate that. And also just knowing that, like, I'm also recognizing my own jealousy in there and, like, Mm. projections of wanting a certain type of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, until they have a plane ticket and an apartment, don't believe that they're moving to New York. Everybody (laughs) wants to move to New York, right? Not everybody does. Yeah. So don't worry about that. Also, I think you're going to really surprise yourself with like, you'll get exactly what you need here. And whether it's like time with a person you already know or not. I think we use people that we already know as like a crutch here Mm. in our lives. Like with friendship, like, oh, we're going to like go to this place. We're going to go to a new city and we're going to like see the one person that we know there. And like, that's going to be our experience. And I think it's a real gift to not actually have that security blanket for that long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think like maybe being forced to wean yeah. yourself off of the person that you feel safest with here, like you'll meet people through them immediately. And then yes. it'll be sort of from there, you're going to be like, oh, it's so weird. Like the, my only friend here, like I barely see anymore, but I see all these other people that I met through that network of people, interests align. Or maybe you and your friend and their partner will all become really close. And the three of you will hang out all the time. And that'll be like a beautiful new style of friendship that you weren't expecting. And you know, I think a lot can happen, but I wouldn't worry too much about what could happen or might happen before anybody is actually living here. Like, don't let that, don't let that freak you out. And that's where I fall into. Yeah. Yeah. I know that sinking feeling when you're like, when your best friend says that they're bringing like a plus one and it's a date and you're like, but wait, that feeling is awful. But (laughs) I totally agree with Allison that the thruple ship could be okay it could yeah. totally be okay. Also, not to be like the person who's like, back in my day, I walked to school with no shoes, but I moved here without a soul, like nobody. And then I did like rub together any Chicago friends I could, even people I really didn't like and hang out with them just not to be lonely. But that didn't last very long because you do start accumulating people. It's like that magic trick when you go, when you're traveling by yourself and people approach mm-hmm. you because they feel that energy of like openness emanating from you. You're going to totally attract people. Also, you're probably going to get on apps and start meeting some cute people and you're going to probably like fall into a relationship too. So you're not going to be able to hang out with your Chicago friend anyway. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I love we'll probably that fall in love. Yeah, we have to manifest that. Susan is such a romantic. She's like, and you're going to fall in love. I love that. Like, it's so wonderful, but it's also true. <laughs> well, we have to believe it. I know. We have to I know, but also, like, you know, you know. 
Oh yeah. This is an amazing city to come and like go sit at the bar and have a martini at the restaurant that you've seen everybody go to. Cause you're like, these seem like my people and you go and you're like, wow, these are my people. Or you're like, wow, this is not my vibe actually. But through that experience, you're like, well, what about this place is around the corner? And like just leaving the house, walking yeah. around, poking your head in places. It's like, you get to be a traveler all over again and truly one of the best cities in the world. And like, I'm so envious of you. Yeah. Because I'm so jaded. I'm like, yeah. I guess we'll go to Sermos oh my again. You know, I'm like, I don't know. I don't yeah. ever do anything like, different. Another night at Keens. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. <laughs> boring. No, it's not boring. Every night at Keens is perfect. Yeah. Susan and I moved to New York the same time, like within nine months of each other. But we only met, you know what, like mm-hmm. eight, nine years later. You know, like you never know who you're going to meet who's also on this trajectory and the one that you're on. And like, it can take 10 years to find one of your best friends in New York. You can meet them in the first week. It will give Mm -hmm. you so much. But yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting like, I'm getting Richwood, but don't count out lower Manhattan. I think as people that are especially moving to New York think that they're supposed to live in Brooklyn or like that it's more affordable. Sneakily, lower Manhattan has actually become, I think weirdly more affordable in certain pockets. Yeah. And especially if you're like, I just want like a small little abode just to like put a few things, but like I'm not interested in actually being home that often or like hosting dinner parties, then like you can get something a little smaller and maybe more central and like vibier to start. And then a year and be like, okay, I'm ready to like explore these other parts of Brooklyn that are like, like, you know, Mm -hmm. feeling ready to like settle down into. Where in Chicago are you right now? I'm in Andersonville. It's, uh, yeah, well, you know, North. Andersonville is like akin to, this is probably going to be controversial, but like Andersonville might be like parallel to God, not, not New York. Well, it'd be like, it'd be like Queens. (laughs) It'd be like, sorry, that is New York, but like, you know, kind of calm vibe, but really cool people, Mm -hmm. very diverse. So there'd Mm -hmm. be like an Astoria. I love Astoria. Which we totally didn't even touch on. Yeah. People love living in Astoria. Yeah. The food's good there. The Like, the Greek grocers are incredible. So, hey, there's also Astoria. Astoria is yes. great. This is really helpful. All right, Patrick, we're thinking of you, and we can't wait to run into you at um, all the places we go. Thank you so much. Well, Patrick, I can't wait to be friends with him. <laughs> I can't wait to run into Patrick uh, over martinis at Nine Orchard. Should we exchange numbers? I know. <laughs> we have his information. <laughs> no, his vibe is not Nine Orchard. His vibe is clandestino, Ladiv. Like, I'm going to see him out there next summer on the patio. Do we love Ladiv? I think we do, but I don't think we have, like, I, I, I we do. I think that the the people who own and run it and opened it. Yeah. It's not our place. I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's my place specifically. It is a place that could be for me, but I'm not like, oh, I'm home. You know what I mean? Because it's everyone's home. It's not home. It's not home for us, but I do, like, I'm not mad at it. No. But like everyone's there. It's like there's everyone staring at everyone else. It's like a little bit like a person on parade energy. And like, it's not a chill place if you want to like go have a a non like ogling. A cozy, no, it's a to be seen place. It's to be seen there, which is a lot. Like I'm not going there on date night with my husband or even like on a date night with you. I'm not like, I mean, I guess I would with you. I know, we, but we would have to know that we're going to be seen. We'd have to get We would go up. at 5.30 and sit inside at the corner, in the corner. 
if we were going, we would do that. But if we, if I was like 7.30 Lady Thursday night, we'd be like, okay, well, I have to go get a facial or I have to get my hair, get my roots touched up. You know, it's not like a low-key place. No, we have to put an outfit on. Okay, now it's time for my favorite portion of the show. Well, it's all my favorite part, but- Me too, um, I love this part. Yeah, Chef's Kiss Hotline. We're gonna take some recorded calls. People call in with their quick sort of one-off, mostly food-focused, but not always- questions for us. So feel free to chime in. I'm I'm not an expert. I'm just an enthusiast. So let's take our first caller. Uh, it's Chris Black and Jason Stewart from How Long Gone. And we want to tell you about our summer tour. We're going on tour this summer in America. We're, we're touching all of the important cities uh, this June, Chicago, Toronto, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm looking forward to our new cities, St. Paul and D.C., but we'll be on to some of the major first-tier cities later on in the year. Don't worry. So if you live in L.A. and New York... Hush your mouth. That's it. Just L.A. and New York, but yeah. No, London. London. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, so anyway, howlonggone.com is our website. Tickets are on sale now, and uh, we'll see you out there. Allison, huge fan of solicited advice. This is Katie calling from Andover, Massachusetts. And I was wondering what your advice would be for someone who loves to entertain, but um, gets super stressed out right before a dinner party. Always feel super frazzled. Um, no matter how prepared I really am, I can't seem to knock that feeling of what if everything is wrong? What if things aren't ready? How do you manage that last-minute freak out right before a dinner party. Thanks. Bye. Ugh, same. I, it doesn't get easier. I will say that. You you learn to fake it more. That's all I can say. And like, again, Susan's been... Susan and Jen, but Susan has been at, at many a dinner party and is often one of the first people to arrive, which I always really appreciate. Which, But what that means is that you've seen me in my most like, like frazzled but you're always very helpful. So I would say like having one person that you can count on to like show up early, you don't necessarily need to ask them, but if you're not sure if somebody will, having at least one person present with you to like share the the load and a, a person you're less likely to be like your most anxious self with is really helpful. Also, I'll say that, I'll say that Allison saying that something won't be right and being at many of Allison's dinners, parties, et cetera, I've never not felt that everything was right. So knowing that nobody's really going to notice if everything's not perfect is, is something to keep in mind. And hopefully the people coming over to your house will love you and cherish you and honor you no matter what. And so like really taking that in like, hey, even if the seltzer's room temperature, people will still love me and have a great time. Yeah, like your self-worth is not dependent on like whether or not the carrots are still hot, you know? And they probably won't be, which is fine. But I think like, yeah, being kind to yourself, allowing yourself to like... Also a good exercise I've found with a lot of anxiety in general is to like allow your brain to go to the furthest possible conclusion, mm. right? Be like, what am I most anxious about? Am I anxious that the music's wrong? Okay, so if the music's wrong, what what happens then? Like, like take it there. Be like, oh, is someone going to leave the party? No. Or like the music's wrong. How can I fix that? I'm going to delegate. 
you know, like you, you come up with problems and then you solve them in your mind. Like you work through each fear and like that allows you to kind of proceed with like, oh, well, if the whole dinner is inedible, I order pizza. Like who cares? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, no, like we're, we're all going to make it. We're all going to be okay. I like people who are anxious. I like it because that is the type of energy I need around <laughs> me in my business because that is what gets stuff done. Like you're going to have a, like I like people who get wow. nervous about things because that means you care. You know what I mean? Like a good for you that you have anxiety. I don't like chill. Yeah, that's right. Good for me. Let's harness that. <laughs> Let's like, like that is make something successful. If you're really anxious and nervous, like you're going to, you're going to channel that into something really successful. So good for you. I'm going to tell everybody that. I mean, I'm going to be like, re- it's my, it's the secret to my success. Let's take it back. Let's take that word back and let's make it into a positive. But yeah, I, that probably means that you're putting a lot of care into this and that you're considering so many details. So good for you. People who say that they're calm and chill before like big things. I'm like, are you okay? Like, shouldn't you, shouldn't you be a little bit nervous before you yeah. host a big party? <laughs> yeah. Where's your pulse? Hi, Allison. This is Carolyn calling from Washington, D.C. And I'm wondering when you use white pepper. I've used it like once in making this vegan ranch dip, which is somewhat of an oxymoron. And now it's just sitting in my pantry. And I'm wondering what you would do with it. Thank you. Well, I wouldn't. (laughs) I would throw it away. I would honestly would throw it right in the trash. Don't use it. It's has like a weird floral taste. And that is like not like a quote chefy answer. Like, of course there are reasons to use it. Of course recipes call for it. But like, I'm never going to ask you to do it. So <laughs> unless you have like other books of which are using like that blend of spices, like some people will have you grind it up and like with a black peppercorn and a pink peppercorn and call it like three peppercorn cacio e pepe or something silly. And I just like, when I worked in, quote, fine dining restaurants, I used a lot of white peppercorn. It was like a thing that we like filled our pepper mills with equal parts white and black peppercorns and it gave our food a special flavor. Mm-hmm. And I just like can't be bothered. It's a lot of people have a real aversion to it actually. But to me, it falls under the category of specialty ingredient that is like not worth the presence in my pantry. I, you won't catch me using it ever. I mean, it's not to say it's not valuable to some people. It's not valuable to me. So my answer for this question is don't use it and get rid of it. Someone else might have a very wonderful other answer that says to, how to use it, but I don't have one. Hey, this is Curtis from Brooklyn. I was wondering if you had a preferred kind of pastry brush you like to use. I feel like I've gone through so many terrible ones. They always end up leaving bristles behind on my food and end up completely falling apart when I wash them. Am I alone? Am I washing them too aggressively? Or am I really just overthinking it? And are pastry brushes one of those nice to have but unnecessary kitchen tools? I use paintbrushes from the hardware store. And I replace them often. Do you really? Yeah. They're, I mean, yeah. And, and any of the other ones that you're finding... Avoid the silicone brushes. They're stupid. They don't hold on to anything. Really? They're way too gloopy. They're way too mm. heavy. They're gross to clean. Honestly, a pastry brush is $2 at most. And so it's like, just accept the fact, like, what, are you opening a bakery? <laughs> like, why are you blowing through them so quickly? I can't find the brand. 
It might be Winco. Yeah, W-I-N-C-O. That's like a very standard, but it is literally a paintbrush. But you shouldn't be spending more than like that small amount of money on a pastry brush. And you're going to replace them often. They're not meant to like stand the test of time. But I mean, I've had my pastry brush for... I definitely over two years and I have never thought about replacing it, but I just wash it immediately. I never put it in the dishwasher, hand wash only. Mm. And I, the bristles don't come out, but I'm also not like using it that often. I'm using it like maybe 10 times a year. So really a paintbrush from, from Blick or something? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that will work hundred percent. Should I just buy makeup brushes there too? Yeah, probably. Honestly, ask Jen. Yeah. But you shouldn't be like getting paint bristles in your paint when you're painting. So you, those need to be sturdy too. It's all made of the same material. Like any right. boar bristle brush. Avoid the silicone, TLDR. Allison, it's Michelle from Morris County, New Jersey. I can't believe I could not copy and paste the phone number that you tagged on Instagram. However, I love you, dear. And what I need to know is how much I should stir my beans because I love your soups, stews, bean stews, but I overstir and I really don't know when I should stir and how often because they get too mushy, too gross. And when I see your final product, delicious, intact. Beans look phenomenal. Thank you. I love you. Congrats to you and your hubby. Congratulations. Bye. We are also upset that you can't click on the phone number. Believe us, it keeps us up at night. Susan, do you cook beans? I do. I cook your yeah. recipes like all no the wrong, time. No wrong Rancho answer. Gordos, babe. Yeah. I, I, I don't cook, stir them really at all ever. And I also think if they're turning to mush, you're probably either overcooking or they're cooking at too high of a temperature. Mm. Because most people have the opposite complaint that they never fall apart. They never get soft. But if yours are just like mushy, gloopy, whatever, either I, I would just say stirring them too frequently and cooking them at too high of a temperature. So beans really like to be cooked low and slow. And yes, that's annoying if you're in a rush, but beans are not a food that you make when you're in a rush. So that's that. Do you think she's maybe over soaking them or something too? No, I hope she's not soaking at all. No, that doesn't matter. Soaking is such a silly myth. It's like soak for five years and like soak for five minutes. You know, it's going to... It's it's how you cook the beans. It's not how you soak the beans. <laughs> Honey, it's not how you soak the beans. It's, it's not about the soak. You know, my mom, she's using canned beans in the age of Rancho Gordo's. So maybe there's a chance that there's a canned bean. She's using canned beans to make like brothy beans? Anything, Allison, anything. I mean, I, yes. I definitely, I love canned beans. I definitely use canned beans as like... But not for your brothy beans. No, no, no. Well, that's the thing. That's like an entirely different recipe. But like, I'm a huge fan of canned products when I'm like, I got to eat now. I got to eat in the next half hour. I'm not trying to make a bean from scratch when I have a half an hour. So if you're trying no, to rush you your dried yeah. bean, yeah, you're in the wrong game. Don't rush the dried bean. The BFA free can for sure though, right? Like, yeah, you know. Yeah, BPA free, the, for sure. The B, BPA, BFA, the BFA photo agency. Okay, yeah. Too. Okay, New York girly. <laughs> yeah. Susan's been out and about. Showing my true self. okay. So that's really good to know, though, because I, I guess I never thought about the stirring. My beans come through pretty firm and, like, kind of great. But mm. I'm following the recipe, but, and I'm not thinking about the stirring. So that's a good question. Yeah, I think so. 
Allison. My name's Tegan. I'm calling from Toronto, Canada. Um, and I had a question for you about the graham cracker crust that you use in the citrus cheesecake. I've also tried to make it with the salted lemon tart. And mine always turn out too crumbly and they don't hold together or hold shape the way that yours seem to look like in the photos, despite following the ingredients and the directions exactly. I'm wondering if you know why this is happening and what I can do. Should I be adding more butter to make it hold together better? Please help me. Thank you so much for answering my question. Love you so much. Bye. That's really sweet. I So one thing you should know is that I never change the recipe for a photo. If you see what it looks like, I am just following my own recipe with the exact same ingredients because I don't believe in bait and switch. I don't believe in showing something that you can't achieve at home. So if something looks different or you're having an experience, I think the culprit is almost always in the way something is being measured or the technique is like something's getting lost in translation. It's difficult to write a recipe and have it mean the same thing to everybody. So for something like that, like it could be like the crumb of like the cookie is too fine or not fine enough or, you know, the way that you're you're not like working it enough because it does need to be mixed a certain amount. But there's a YouTube video of that specific recipe. So you should be able to see also like what it looks like. I will say that that crust is pretty delicate. Like it's not that sturdy. But in the context of a cheesecake where like the filling of the cheesecake helps to sort of bind the crust, especially after it gets chilled because of all that butter, it does like hold its shape. It is sort of on the edge of too crumbly versus like too firm or something, I guess, or like too too buttery because too much butter to make everything hold together. And like, then it's going to just be like weird butter. So I would say that it's like, watch the video, maybe mix it more than you think because if the crumbs are too coarse or too fine, you're going to maybe run into some issues. But also if you're like, I added two more tablespoons of butter and I prefer it that way, it's easier to work with and like go for it. That's That becomes like your choice and your journey and that's not wrong. Hi, Allison. This is Katie in England. I work a job that takes me to many remote locations. So I find that packing a lunch is such a chore and it's not like I can pop out for a sweet green or a kava or whatever people eat. So um, I was just wondering if you had any ideas for like a packed lunch that is less of a chore, easy, but also kind of good for you. Okay, cool. Um, Take care. Thanks so much. Bye. Susan, what do you do for lunch? I'm like not a lunch person. My dream lunch is leftovers. You know, something Mm. from the night before, like last night I had made fish and broccoli, rob, and rice, and like maybe some iteration of that. But today I made, and I'm also like always on, always in a rush, don't always want to buy my lunch. And especially like you just get fatigue from like the bulleries that are available, like a kava, like she said. The bulleries. Wow. That is an excellent phrasing that I've (laughs) never heard before. I'm obsessed with it. We are living, all we have is bowls. We live, we have a wealth of bowls. Today I made a turkey sandwich with cheddar cheese, pickled onions, mayonnaise, mustard, and uh, yeah, on um, uh, Mike's Killer Bread or Killer Mike's Bread. I don't even know. Have you had that bread, by the way? Uh, is it the gluten-free one? No, it's not oh, actually. Then no. But it's sprouted. Oh, okay. Nice. It's like a lunch that you would have in elementary school. 
And that's because of time. And also because I'm like, kind of like, it's like a soothing, healing, calming food. It's like comfort food, a sandwich. I know you're not into sandwiches, Allison. No, but I'm in, I'm into, I'm into everything you said mostly. But yeah, like, would I rather have it in a bowl? I don't know. Right, right, right. Two pickles and salt and vinegar chips. Like actually what I think my dad used to pack me for lunch in elementary school. And that is because I have zero time. And I also like am hungry and need something like I can really like, it doesn't make me feel gross. Doesn't like weigh me down. It's not that expensive. Like it's all the things. It's economical in all the ways. Time, money, everything. I'm just realizing now that I think like a the bowlery concept, like bowls might be the one thing to get me to prefer a sandwich. I just can't do the bowls anymore. I get the, I don't want it. I don't need it. It's like, I don't like all my food touching like that. I like like a melange of things. Would I make myself 12 individual salads and make, and then put them all together at home? Probably not. But like, yeah, I mean, I put so much in my bowls and I they end up being $37. Like I yeah. ordered chopped yesterday and it was $37. Did they charge you by the ingredient? I'm just unfamiliar. <laughs> maybe. Not to sound yeah, like- kind of maybe. <laughs> no, true. I think we should start simplifying things and I think we do sandwiches. And that's that's like the radical idea for late 2023. Yeah. But like, what do you eat for lunch at home? What are you doing know, for lunch? Cheez-Its? I don't know. I didn't have lunch today, but I'm starving. I don't know. I'm more, I'm also a huge leftover person. I'm also a huge, like other things in containers that I eat individually. I just don't like all my food touching, which is why I don't care for sandwiches, Mm -hmm. why bowls are sort of a non-starter, but get me like three tiny little Tupperwares full of stuff that like I can snack on, like a greens and a chickpea and a whatever, like that I'm into. But if I'm home alone, I do eat a lot of soups. I'll also do, Mm. like if I have leftover rice, I will do like a quick sort of like crispy rice with like greens tossed in, maybe some tofu or an mm-hmm. egg and herbs. And that's like four ingredient bowl, quote unquote, is about as much as I can handle. And like that feels really good to me. And that's like less of a bowl, more of like a fried rice. But something that I can like use up stuff in my fridge because I'm trying to like mm-hmm. really focus on not wasting food. And if I have, like that's why I'm so horny for beans and like chickpeas because I can make a giant batch of them and then eat them many different ways throughout the week. And I'm more likely to be mm-hmm. like, oh, I have these really beautifully seasoned, well-cooked beans or chickpeas that I can do something very quickly with versus like now I have a can of beans or chickpeas that like kind of require a lot of work for me to make them delicious. So I know everyone's like, stop talking about beans. And I'm like, no, I won't. <laughs> I won't ever do it. Not until every person looking for lunch can make their own brothy beans. Remember you used to say something around the lines, and maybe you don't do this anymore. Maybe you do. Did you used to like boil a bunch of potatoes at the beginning of the week and just put them in your fridge so like anytime you want a snack, you can like dip them in salt or like drizzle some olive oil or something? Didn't you used to do that? Yeah, and I still do. I very much do. You know what? Like it's like boil some eggs at the beginning of the week, bring them with some cheese, bring them with some crackers to work like a little girl lunch. Girl lunch. Oh, don't. We're going to edit that one right on out. I'm just kidding. But yeah, I'm a huge like slice of cheddar, (laughs) jammy egg, Mm -hmm. cucumber, Mm -hmm. boiled potato, like snack, 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 snack. I want like, I want many flavors, many textures, many tastes. And like little Tupperwares of that and make it like a little thing where you dip and you're like, I I love that for lunch too. I think that's a really nice lunch. A meze. All right. Next and final caller. Hey, Allison. This is Taylor from Columbus, Georgia. 
my question, and I know the whole hotline thing isn't just for food and cooking, but my question is I am newly seeing a new girl and she wants me to cook for her. Well, my concern is I've only ever cooked for my grandma before. So how do I make a dinner feel more date-like rather than, oh, it's family dinner night? Any hot takes other than serving up caviar and champagne would be really appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, caviar and champagne is too soon for a person you're just seeing. But I do appreciate the sentiment. Once you've like really locked it in, that's like a happy six months, babe, type of thing. But the only thing that you could... I feel like... The, the answer here is really more what not to make versus what to make, but like no soup, just full full on no soup. Mm-hmm. That soup is saying elderly. And as a person who's it's <laughs> their favorite food, I love soup. I would eat it every day, five times a day. But if I'm trying to like be hot and sexy and romantic and like showcase like that part of some of my personality, I'm not going to be like soup. Mm-hmm. Although, I, when Max proposed, he made me matzo ball soup. But that's because it's my favorite food and he was showing me he cares and loves me. Like, that's different. But that was like, not sexy, that was romantic. What did you make for him? Nothing. No, what was your first meal oh. for Max? <laughs> I was like, he proposed to me. For your future husband. No, no, I know. What I know, is I the know. first thing I made for him? I made him... What was it? It was probably... It may have been meatballs like over polenta, but it wasn't like red sauce Italian American style meatballs. It was like they were kind of light and like burst tomato y and like with like herbs, like over polenta. Mm. Like it felt kind of like fresh and fun. But I think I did that because I was like, these kill. Like they're so impossibly delicious that like, and it was a cozy time of year. So we wanted like cozy food without being like a big braise or something like that. It felt like casual enough. And I didn't want to like flex immediately. I feel pretty self-conscious about like (laughs) other people's perception of me and like what I must cook for people. And I'm like, I'm making you a roast chicken or meatballs pretty much all the time. Like that's my go-to because that's like what I enjoy eating. And and it's, it's a humble food, you know? I also just see you being like seductive and like dragging your finger through the polenta and like low key, like popping it in your mouth. Like, I feel like there's a seduction. I do eat with my hands, Susan. I see that. (laughs) I know. I think that that's what she should make. Yeah. That like also says like, I'm chill and I don't need to like impress you with something elaborate, but I know how to make really good tasting food that is going to make you feel like warm, but like also impressed that like, you're such a good cook, you know? And like, this is food I really want to eat and I can't wait to come back for more. Mm-hmm. Anything like that. I, I'd say my second is always like some version of like a roast chicken with like a perfect salad and like mustard greens or something like that. Like something transportive. Like we're, we're in Paris, we're at a bistro. We are mm. casual. We have a roasted potato. We're like, you know, nothing fussy. Nothing that says like I'm high maintenance or... I'm trying to impress something that says I'm confident in my cooking and like, I like to do it. And that's how I say I care and I like you and I care and I like you. So here's a nice chicken. I love that. That makes you feel love. Yeah, I think so too. Well, that was really beautiful. And I feel like I'm going to end, I'm going to like pause in like a half hour and have like an emotional hangover, but not in a bad way. I just feel like today I was like very ready to talk about feelings and uh, personal growth. Yeah. Love you. 
yeah, I love you. Thank you for always making me feel like that's like a cool way to be and not a like undesirable way to be. You make me feel like very excited to be a feelings-based person because I, I like that Oh my God, don't you. make me cry. <laughs> well, it's just nice. It's nice when you're just feeling overwhelmed by the world to just pause and talk to a girlfriend. I totally, I never realized how healing that can be and grounding. Yeah. And also just, I know logistically you're very busy and like running a very successful business in New York and doing it largely by yourself with a small team and and taking the time out to do this, which feels maybe frivolous is really important to me. And I just, I'm really grateful for you. So thank you. Oh, anything. Always. So happy to be here. This episode is brought to you by Maker's Mark. Solicited Advice is hosted by me, Allison Roman. Our podcast is produced by Jennifer Sullivan with the help of Elena Rodriguez-Via. Technical production and editing is handled by Red Rock Music. And our theme music was created by Yosef Monroe. You can watch a video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel. And for questions, sponsorship inquiries, or anything else, please visit us at allisoneroman.com slash podcast. 